Welcome to the Writer Dojo with your host, Steve Diamond. That's me. And Larry Korea. It appears my hypocrisy knows no bounds. Today's episode, Message Fiction. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Writer Dojo. Glad to have you all back with us. Now, before we get into the message of what this, uh, this episode is about, there's a couple things we want to we wanna talk about. One, first caveat, Larry and I just ate probably more meat than is healthy for any one individual to eat. This episode is brought to you by Tucano's Brazilian Barbecue. Yeah, we, uh, we ate all the food. Dude, I ate like, uh, the human body is not supposed to be able to digest that many pounds of steak. No, but we'll, we'll try anyway. If I die partway through this recording session, you know, just remember me, guys. Yeah. Part two, second caveat. Okay, this is being done with new equipment that we bought specifically with funds um, generously donated to us by supporters. And so um, these are brand new mics, stands, the the recording interface, all the different things. Yeah, to specify, we're not in the studio uh, we're not in Craig's studio today. We're actually in Steve's basement yeah. um, because this is the setup that we are going to, if this works, we're going to be able to take this on the road Yeah. and, and, uh, take it to cons and, uh, interview other writers. And cause the last time we did that, it was fun. We got some great interviews, but the sound quality was bleh, not good. Yeah. The, the, the mics and everything that we were using on there, they, they were just lent to us by the, by the folks over at FenCon who were super great, you know, helping us get all that stuff in last second. So that was fine. But since we have some money, we bought all of this nice equipment, these nice microphones. Uh, if you've been listening to me on any of the, like the, the Chris Rocchio Kickstarter videos that I've been on or, um, or any of the other podcasts that I've been interviewed on lately, uh, I'm basically using the same sort of mic that I was using on those. Yeah, and so I the, thought I sounded pretty clear. Yeah. So let us know guys what you think in the comments. <laughs> yeah. Now th- this room isn't a dead room um, on like Craig's studio. So there's a chance you're going to get a little bit of background noise here and there. Are your, other, okay. your other kids? Yeah. My other kids and their, and their crazy friends. And special thanks to uh, Diamond 1.1 who right. is here being our recording engineer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're, we're, we'll talk a little bit about him on, on the episode after this one. Because uh, he he helped us with uh, with what we're going to talk about on that one, um, kind of some more lessons from the gun range. But um, this episode, uh, this this topic came up in the Facebook group just like two days ago, and it was um, the person. And I, for the life of me, I can't remember who brought it up, but uh, the person said they'd seen a new topic or a new genre, and what they called it was eco-fiction, which sounds a lot like eco-terrorism to me, but, um, I guess the whole point of it is that it's the, the idea was that this is, um, message fiction where you have a specific political or ecological or economic, whatever message, and you want to implement it in your fiction. Well, at least my comment on that is at least they're open about it. Right. You know, and some people are into that. And if you're going to advertise it, that's great. Um, I, I've come up a lot on message fiction and, uh, people always say that I'm like anti-message fiction or I hate message fiction. And then they try to say, oh, you're such a hypocrite, you're such a hypocrite because there's messages in your book. No, I'm going to clarify exactly right. my feelings on, on that subject today. I, I think that there's a, 
there's a big difference between your characters having philosophies or religions or whatever that they believe in, that they espouse within your fiction versus you trying, you as the author trying to, trying to put your personal views into a, into a piece of fiction and shoving it down the reader's throats. Yeah. No, when you say message fiction, this could mean different things to different people, but historically how, uh, how my name gets conflated with this is because I was the anti-message fiction guy and that for a period there about starting about 15, 20 years ago in science fiction and fantasy publishing, there was a massive push to have, um, dying polar bear fiction. Yeah. We called it dying polar bear fiction where everything was about at the time was global warming. And then after it was global warming, it was George Bush is bad. And uh, every villain in every book was a thinly veiled George Bush and Dick Cheney. And They've so been definitely supplanted now. Yeah. So on, I mean, we had, we had Trump, the Trump years, but basically the message fiction, the, the thing that the keep in mind here guys is that the majority of traditional publishing at the time was out of Manhattan like the vast overwhelming majority uh, was out of Manhattan. And if you've ever been to Manhattan, politically it skews one way really hard. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the publishing world, it skews that way so overwhelmingly that uh, the Venn diagram of Manhattan publisher and Democrat is basically a stack of pancakes, right? Right. I mean... And not the delicious And I'm not going to get political this episode. I'm just saying it 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 was a monoculture. Uh, where everybody believed the same things. And if you didn't believe the same things, you better shut up. Yeah, well, I mean, you and I have both heard um, agents and editors and publishers and stuff literally say, if you're of a certain political persuasion, you're not going to get published with me. Yeah, keep your heads down, guys, uh, if you're going that route. Now, this was pre-indie. This was um, pre-me causing a big hoop-de-law about this, which we are not going to get into. But... The thing about the message fiction, guys, is message fiction in and of itself is not inherently bad. So when I came along and I started talking about like you know the the die, dying polar bears and uh, a r- robot rape, that was the other one. Like if you had a robot, it had yeah. to get raped. Um, yeah, that was pretty. And, and, and I know annoying. exactly which book we're talking about. Too. Oh yeah, and it was, it was just shot. And the thing is, and all the awards would go to whatever fit the proper message. I'm pretty sure of the day. it did. I'm pretty sure it did win all the it awards. It did. And so the thing is, guys, what had happened wasn't necessarily that message fiction uh, is a bad thing. It's that message fiction is a thing, but it can't be the only thing. Right. Books are an entertainment product. Uh, novels are an entertainment product. Our job is to entertain people. And so when I started this, people that well, there's always been messages in science fiction and fantasy. Yes, there has. However... They were also an entertainment product first, message product second, or, or third, third, or fourth, or yeah. fifth. And we had changed it until that message was the only thing that mattered. And we got to the point where quality didn't matter, entertainment didn't matter, sales didn't matter. Which is staggering to me. It's completely asinine because it was all about certain people in the publishing industry being able to virtue signal at their at their tea parties, you know, at their their Manhattan tea parties or whatever, that I have this and we wrote this and it's so important and we sold 16 copies nationwide. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so so I that was what I was fighting back against. I don't believe that message fiction by itself is inherently wrong or bad. But I want to paraphrase Jim Butcher because I can't remember the actual quote, but I heard a Jim Butcher quote on this. And Jim is a very wise man. And somebody asked Jim about message fiction. And his comment was, never preach uh, harder than you entertain. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I, I think that's a good 
I think that's probably the best attitude you can possibly take in this sort of scenario. Um, it, when people say that there's always been politics or messages in fiction, they're right. Oh yeah. That, that, that's, that's a story. I mean, all the way back to, you know, what, what is widely considered one of the first science fiction novels uh, ever Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, you know, there's, there is messaging, there is politicalness in, in all of these books. Well, like the original Star Trek, uh, tons and tons and tons of stuff. But here's the thing. Did, did that show have an entertaining, an entertaining thing where the, the message about racism was just part of the episode that drugged you along and entertained you? And then there's the, the moral of the story. Well, it's like, um, it's like the show Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I love okay. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We both love this show. Yeah. Well... Early seasons. Yes. Yeah. There's a moment though, and and, and again, and, and Terry Crews is hysterical. Terry Crews can do no wrong. But there's the there's the episode where it's um, where it's the this is our episode about racism, and it, and it felt like the the uh, what was it the Saturday Saturday afternoon special or whatever it was uh, about racism and how. You know, he was in the wrong neighborhood at the wrong time and, and all this stuff. If that is a if that is a legitimate point you want to bring across, then bring that point across within the confines and context of a story in a way that feels natural and organic. Yeah. Not to where it feels like there's a like the 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 record screech, you know, and yeah. then it's like now. The next five minutes of this show are brought to you by Message Fiction. Do you remember when we were young and TV was a little more little more blatant about this? It would be a very special episode. Yeah. A very special episode of Blossom or whatever. I don't, you know, uh -huh. pick the show. Uh, and, and then I'd have an, an episode about illiteracy or bulimia or whatever. Oh, yeah. Like, like sa Saved by the Bell had it with, with, uh, with pill addiction. Yeah. But it was, it was, um, oh gosh, what was it? I think it was like caffeine pills does in the episode but she was addicted to them because they helped her study larry wow she she probably went on to be a writer <laughs> she went on to be something oh is that the character went on to do all the, the the that crazy stripper movie yeah oh yeah that was yeah. so bad yeah your son's in the room i won't talk about it, the movie this is very bad guys don't watch it <laughs> <laughs> like it's bad <laughs> okay so I mean, the thing about message fiction is it's going to be in there. Like if you're writing about adult topics and adult themes and you're writing about the world and you got a statement to make, that's great. Put it in there. Put it in there. But have it be organic to what you're trying to do. You can write a science fiction novel that's straight up about racism or sexism or, or whatever, but you still got to have a story there. Well, I mean, classism, right? Like, um, oh, geez, I read like, Son of the Black Sword. I was going to say, Son of the Black Sword is is very obviously about um, classism is a major component within it. Huge, but it's not because you're like, well, today, gentle, you know, gentle readers, I want to talk about a very special episode of Son of the Black Sword, classism. You know, it, it's it's part of a culture. Yes, yeah, so as an organic part of the series. Correct. And the thing is, I mean, I get into all that. And I've had people who like, who don't understand my philosophy of like when I started uh, railing against this, all this political bias and nonsense, try to say that, oh, he's such a hypocrite because there's, there's messages in his books. Guys, there's messages in almost all books. It's, it's a net. Well, I'd argue 
that if your character is well-written, well-rounded, and complete, they are that character is going to have very strong feelings towards very specific topics. Okay, so um, for example, writing, uh, writing Werewolf Cop. Okay, the main character is a black dude who's a cop. Uh, who also happens to be a bloodthirsty werewolf because that's funner. So uh, he has very specific views on things that may or may not match with what other things you're seeing, but they're his views because of the product of of how he was when he grew up. Same thing with um, you know I'm co-writing this book with uh, with Mike Rothman these these techno thrillers. And it's about a girl who, um, who kind of becomes a, a repairman Jack-esque problem solver. She's Chinese and she was part of like sex slavery for a while. She has very, very, very specific views on Chinese culture, on uh, human trafficking, on U.S. and world politics because that's the character that she is. And if I don't, if I don't espouse those, if I don't, if I don't, um, if I don't clearly show what those are in organic terms, again, um, then, then I'm not being honest to the character. Yeah. There's, there's this element of, of truthfulness and honesty when you write a book. And if you got, especially if it's based in the real world and you're building your characters based upon real life people and how people and cultures really are, you're going to have elements of that stuff. Just keep in mind, what is the person picking up the book after? Mm-hmm. Like clearly if you pick up a Tom Clancy novel, it's going to have political commentary. If, if it's, it's, if it doesn't, people yeah. are going to put down your Tom Clancy yeah, because book. Because it's, that's what it's all about. I mean, if, what it comes down to is, I, and, and I like the word that you use, Larry, and that's the honesty of it. If, if the character is honestly um, talking about the beliefs that they have and it's, and it's natural to the story, um, often, you know, something that makes them angry and they, they're put into a situation where, where old memories are dredged up or old fears or old, um, you know, old hatreds even are brought up. And that feels natural and it feels organic to the story. But if you have to pause in order to say, by the way, these are the political beliefs of Joe Schmo, the werewolf cop, then it, it does a few things. One, the, the automatic preachiness of it is, to use the Jim Butcher quote, is outweighing your ability to entertain. I've seen books, modern books, where it's like I'm reading along in the narrative and then they'll just stop to have like a rant about something completely unrelated to the plot and it's completely inorganic, but it's like the main character stops and they have to talk about fracking and how they feel about, uh, you know, carbon footprints. It's out of the middle of freaking nowhere. And there's like six paragraphs that's ham fisted. That's the very special episode of blossom, you know, and nobody likes that. They really don't. Even people on that side don't actually like it. Oh, I think judging per- by the sales, I think a perfect example of this for me is actually Michael Crichton's State of Fear. Well, because that's about what it's about. Yeah, I mean, it's it's super in your face, right? It's basically the um, the the right leaning railing against the idea of of global warming and how you know the shifting goalposts of it, right? Um, I remember I remember reading that book. 
uh, audio listen to that book. And at the end of it, I'm like, it's not that I disagree. It's that that, that meant more to the story than, than the events the characters were going through. I, I want to hear, I want, I want the adventure, you know, like, like Jurassic Park, right? Jurassic Park was, there is a message in there and that's, you know, you know, science can outstrip you know, morality and things of that nature. They asked right? if they could. They didn't ask me. You know, right, I can't do a yeah. Jeff Goldblum. So. They were so concerned with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think about if they should. And and Steve opened his shirt while he said that. Too. I did. Yeah, uh, yeah it's pretty. You know, dramatic. it was it was very Jeff Goldblum. Um, and 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 that's a that's an interesting message. But that whole book is about running from dinosaurs that want to eat you. Okay. The adventure of that book is in the driver's seat the whole time. Whereas in state of fear, it was, it's the flip, right? The, the, the characters aren't even in the passenger seat. They're kind of in the back seat while everything else is driven forward. So we're going to take a quick break. When we, when we come back, we're going to talk about different ways where you can implement messaging into your fiction to make it feel organic so we'll be right back hello word mercenaries i'm thomas umstead jr host of the novel marketing podcast here to bring you book marketing commandment number eight thou shalt surround thyself with savvy authors why were c.s lewis and J.R.R. tolkien able to redefine the fantasy genre by first forming a writer's group called the inklings so why is it so hard for us to make author friends i think it's for several reasons the first is pride we don't want to appear like failures the second is envy we resent the success of other authors and the third is artifice we embellish our online persona all three of these things are worse when we're online Face it, we're not our best selves on social media. If all your author friends are avatars on Facebook, you're in trouble. My advice is to meet offline as much as possible. Use social media to supplement, not as the main course. The more you surround yourself with savvy authors, the more successful you will be. To learn more about how to form real connections with other authors, check out my website, novelmarketing.com, or subscribe to my podcast, Novel Marketing, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. All right, so I I want to ask you a question, Larry. We you know we were before the break we were kind of talking about messaging and how the there's a lot of people on on every side of the political discussion who who seem to think that if you if you include anything in there, all of a sudden it's message fiction. Um, well, people are hypersensitive to it right now because right. they've. We spent the last decade beating people over the head with just a golf club of, of nonsense, right? It was so pervasive and so annoying that the, the buying public has become hypersensitive to, to it. And so if there's even a hint of something in your fiction that is that stuff, immediately a large portion of the country is just going to get turned off because they, they've just been so picked on for so long and called names by their entertainment products for so long that even if you don't mean to, it's actually kind of it's fi- kind of funny to me because for the the mandatory diversity we've, we've talked about yeah, on this we've show talked before, about mandatory diversity um, those people who are trying to like shove like their checklists into everything are actually going backwards because what they're causing is society to have a uh, an unconscious backlash against this stuff. Uh, example I was use is a friend of mine wrote a science fiction novel. I don't want to name any names, but he wrote a science fiction novel. One of the main characters was a lesbian. Um, 
And immediately he started getting trashed. Like, this is woke. This is woke. Look, look at this cram. And no, I was actually, I read the book. I'm actually one of the cover blurbs on the book. It was, it was organic. And it really, what it came down to is like, she was terrible at relationships with human beings. And she was really married to her ship, mm-hmm. uh, as a, as a spaceship captain. But it was just interesting to me because people are so, the market is so hypersensitive. Um, cause remember like Buzz Lightyear, yeah. Uh, they had a Buzz Lightyear movie and everybody's like, well, there's gay representation and everybody like f- lost their crap. And my wife watched it. She says the movie was boring as stupid, but that part was like, nah, whatever. And it's interesting though, is just that the market has gotten so saturated and so annoyed by the mandatory checklist nonsense, nonstop bossy preachiness that they're scared. They're, they're sk- The market is skittish. The buying public just is sick of this crap. Well, and, and, and I think this goes back to, and we've talked about this a lot in, in previous episodes, and it's the idea of, of checklisting. You, you just brought it up, right? When you, when you are using a checklist, and for a lot of these things, it's very real. It's, oh, okay, well, you need to include this group. You need to include this topic. You need to in, in, include this political discussion. Um, if, if you, as the writer can't organically put that stuff into your book, then the reader is going to see all of it. And your checklist is going to, that checklist is going to feel like a checklist book. Yeah. It's going to feel tacked on. Tacked on. um, Procedural. Mandatory. mandatory. Uh, It's like your mandatory reading assignment in school, which the biggest single reason Americans don't read anymore is school sucked all the fun out of it through stuff like that. Guys, if you want to have anything in your books, you can, as long as it's good, as long as the reader likes it. And not all readers are going to like everything, and no, that's fine. And, and, and that's and I think that's worth mentioning too, is no matter what you do, you're always going to have people that don't like what you write. Yeah, I've had like the least least messagey things I've ever written. People are like, oh, there's guns in it. It's all right wing. Well, here's the thing I'm writing about monster, professional monster hunters. You're not going to have a lot of squishy bleeding hearts in that line of work. You know what I mean? No. It, like you have to be a weapons expert or die. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on guys. I'm not going to have a lot of squishy pro gun control people in my book about uh, professional monster killers. Well, you know, or or it's, it's, it's like watching the show Bosch. Oh yeah, great show. And, and seeing... And there was Seen a couple how, bits where it flirted with that. Oh, there especially the final season. Oh yeah, with Hector. Yeah, well, yeah, that, because that's, it was all a cab. That was f the police. Yeah, that was dumb. There, there, there was there's obviously some weird reshoots that had to have happened. Oh yeah, um, that, cl- everybody who's a writer watched that sequence and like they clearly cut some stuff out because what actually happened didn't make a lick of sense. Well, what actually happened was police procedure. Yeah. Um, you know, de-escalate and take down the person. I guarantee there's a little cut where Hector put the boot to that guy. Yeah, yeah. I guarantee for sure. Yeah, but for the most part, within Hector, that Jay show, Edgar. I'm Jay sorry, Edgar. Jamie Hector is the actor. Jamie Hector is the actor. Yeah, Jay Edgar is the character. Um, phenomenal character, phenomenal actor. Great actor. So the the throughout the course of the entire show, you see this interesting dichotomy that the main character Harry Bosch goes through. Right? That he that he this belief system that he has. One, he is a cop. He is a homicide detective. And, and his idea of everybody counts or nobody counts. It's, it's he will work his butt off no matter what. That's great. And that's, that is what law enforcement is all about. Um, and, but on the flip side, you also see 
which is a very noir detective trope. And that's the, the idea that the system is flawed and he doesn't know what to do about it. Um, he keeps trying to do the everybody counts or nobody counts bit throughout the whole series to, to make sense of this, this world that he's in while at the same time being a victim of the same world that he's trying to yeah, he's improve. a product of it. Yeah. Um, and, and you see it, you see it very, especially in later, uh, in, in the, the newest kind of spinoff season, which you, you haven't seen yet. So I won't talk. My, full disclosure. My daughter was on a LDS mission and I watched Bosch with her and I yeah. promised not to watch until she got home and she just got home. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Baton so, Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah. So he's having these conversations with his daughter about, um, well, and, and he even has these conversations from season one through, through the, through the final season where he's, he's very much a, look, I have to do what I have to do to get justice. Your job is to follow the rules. Don't be me because he, he, he understands where he's at in it. Well, this is a good example because this is one of those where there is message. There is mess. There's obvious message. Obvious message. However, there's nuance to the message. Yeah. I mean, in one of the seasons, they even talk about, they even talk about the idea of basically black lives matter. Well, and there's consequences to the message both ways, pros and cons. That's another thing too on your message fiction. If you can show, if you can show like the reality and like a lot of the bad message fiction is like everyone who believes what I believe is good and smart and pure and everybody who believes what I opposite of me is big, stupid, bad guy, dumb idiot, uh, you know, whatever. So most Stephen King fiction. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, in fact, Stephen King is so ham fisted. He had, uh, in under the dome, he had like a small town sheriff or no, I'm not even sure he was a, he was an Iraq vet or an Afghan vet, but he was like a Maoist. And I was like, okay, I mean that, that does happen in real life, but you get a small town, small town American vet. Marxist? I mean, it, it, I mean, it, I mean, theoretically that happens, but come uh, on, dude. And frankly, most small town America leans a certain way. Yeah. Well, the last time I dealt with a, a cop in rural Utah over, a, it was over a political issue because I was getting death threats again. I yeah, mean, yeah. I told you about that. Yeah. And I was talking to the cop about it, and uh, and I was like, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to offend you, but I, I hurt some people's feelings, uh, and and uh, so so why is this happening? And and uh, I, I go, I don't want to offend you. I don't know what your politics are. And he goes, dude, I'm a I'm a, I'm a sheriff's deputy in rural Utah. What do you think my politics are? I was like, okay, valid point. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and I can explain the story and he got it. But there, but okay. But there, there, to your point, there are, if you were to write that in fiction, there are, there are different, there are very specific ways in which you go about it so that it feels natural. Because if, if Larry is a character in a book who, who believes a certain way, then, then he, he that character has to be true to himself in whatever his personal belief system and messaging is, and then therefore, Larry the character's reactions and interactions with other characters have to feel equally honest and relevant. Yeah, you think about some of like the more powerful stuff in fiction is when it takes somebody who does believe different than you, yet it still makes them a compelling character. Yeah, that's some of like I, I mean that's. I mean, going back to the Bosch thing, uh, there was a season where, you know, Bosch has skirted the law many, many times, you know, broke the law to get ju- real justice. There was like book justice versus real justice. And then later on, uh, Jay Edgar does something really bad. Once again, just a bit illegal. You are very legal. And, and Harry Bosch judges him harshly for it. And Jay Edgar pays a price for it. 
he does. Like, like emotionally, he's just a broken dude. Some of the best performance I've ever seen, though, is when he when he comes back and he like walks away and it's like he's got his walk back. He's, he's got his swagger he's back. He's got the swagger. Because yeah. he's on a mission again. Yeah. You know, that's good writing, guys. Um, and so what you want to do is like if you want to preach about something, I mean, have something in there to preach against. And, and, and this goes back to the show, don't tell. I mean, if you say uh, saving the earth is good. Uh, making polar bears extinct is bad. You shouldn't drive gas cars. <laughs> That's pretty simplistic. It's kind of stupid. It's ham-fisted. It comes across as annoying. Half your audience just rolled their eyes. The other half rolled their eyes too. They just have to pretend they didn't. Right. So don't do that. I mean, if you're telling that kind of story, have the repercussions in there. Uh, ha- have the debate. I mean, if that's what your story is about, have have some at least make it entertaining. Well, and the, and and again to go back to one of your earlier points, Larry, it has to feel, it has to feel honest and and relevant. Like it can't be the everyone who agrees with me is correct and everyone who disagrees with me is stupid and is obviously the bad guy. It is a shallow caricature. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and that's a danger um, to fall into. So. Uh, I made the Monster Control Bureau people, because you know how anti-government yeah, yeah. I am. I wrote an entire book where those guys are the good guys, Well, right? Well, yeah, and, and I mean... And they're actually some popular Especially, characters. I mean, yeah, I mean, book five, right? So um, when, when you're reading Nemesis, for example... And, and, you know, Jefferson's out there and, 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 you know, all these characters are there and you're like, you know what? When, when you're seeing the story from their eyes, they're not doing the wrong thing. Yeah. But when you're back to the regular series, they're the antagonists. Well, that's because it's through some, it's through, it's through the eyes of people who despise and distrust them. Yeah. It's, see, it's, it's not unlike, uh, it's not unlike Servants of War where, where Ilarion is, you know, he feels he feels a certain way about war. Natalia feels a very certain way about war. They are good guys. And then there's Kristoff. Who's a bad guy? He is a bad guy. But there's worse guys. There are worse guys. And and when you when you and, and I've had this discussion with a lot of people um about about the book and, and they're like, Yeah, dude, like like you know, I they almost always say this. They're like, I know Kristoff is a dirtbag. I just know he's such a terrible, awful dirtbag. He's like but he's kind of our dirt bag. Yeah, when I when I take a character who has beliefs that are diametrically opposed to the audience reading the book, yet I can make the reader understand that dude's perspective and why he's coming at it. That makes it way more effective. Yeah, and honestly, like like just you know, getting away from the fiction and getting to the nonfiction side where I've written you know some nonfiction stuff. Yeah. I understand the other side's points. I think they're wrong, but I get them. But the other side doesn't understand mine. Right. And so what happens is when I get into an argument with them, they don't get it. And I run circles around them because they just don't get it. Because I can come, I if you understand where your opponent's coming from, and you know their argument before they make it and better than they make it, they can't get you because you're ready for everything. And so guys, honestly, your fiction is the same way. Don't dumb it down to this simple caricature of good and evil. Also, too, another one, too, is I really, really hate if it's science fiction or fantasy where they take political issue of the day in 2023 or 2019 or whenever, 2020, whenever the book was wrote, and they took that and they shoehorn it into whatever. As if five, four or 500 years in the future, we're going to have the same exact issue over something or, or 
in, in, a, in a fantasy world that is completely different than ours, where people have completely different backgrounds and completely different struggles. Guys, outside of America, most of the world doesn't understand our modern woke struggles because honestly, frankly, to people who have to work for a living, we're so comfortable that that stuff's just nonsense to them. Yep. I mean, Steve, you lived in a country with like real racism, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, you, I was subject to it. And you were, because you were the one white dude. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's an entirely different thing. Daily. Yeah. And, and if people haven't seen that, they don't get it. And so like we cram this stuff down everybody else's throats, but it honestly, a lot of this stuff is like, if I'm reading a science fiction book set hundreds of years in the future, yet the concerns, the political ranting, the message is 2023 suburban white liberal concern of the day number one that just feels on inauthentic well and 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 just to be politically equal or neutral so to speak if it reads like um white or whatever uh whatever insert race um conservative topic of the day it's it's equally obnoxious oh yeah my side is just as guilty like and we're equally obnoxious we can be profoundly ham-fisted and i have people who are on my side politically i mean authors who vote the same way i vote uh believe the same way i believe and they're just as annoying because if you get too ham-fisted and you get too bossy and too pushy where you make the other side a bunch of dumb caricatures i mean yeah some some percentage of the audience is going to find that rewarding but most people are going to get bored and even like i said earlier uh, even if you agree with somebody, you're going to roll your eyes. And, and even if I said, if half of us pretend we don't, we're still rolling our eyes. Just, you can get the same theme and the same message in there, guys. Just make it good. Yep. I, I think that's, I think that's where I want to end this episode, Larry. The, the idea, um, all coming back to it, the, the, the Jim Butcher thing. And that's, um, you have to entertain harder than you preach. So as long as it's good, as long as it's entertaining, you're probably going to be okay and you can put whatever messages that you need to that you feel like in there but again entertainment first guys so uh that's all the time we have for you today um again we appreciate you and thanks for uh listening to us on our new equipment to, to see if this works okay yeah let us know in the comments uh how that sounded to you guys and we'll adjust fire from there yeah well we'll be back in the studio for most of our regular recording mm-hmm. we're gonna do a couple episodes today Uh, While we recover from the uh, all-you-can-eat Brazilian barbecue. Yes. We'll see how long we make it. Still very full. All right. Take it easy, fellas. Writer Dojo is Steve Diamond and Larry Correa. Produced by Jack Wilder and Bear and Hair Studios. Theme song, Word Mercenaries by Craig Naibo. New episodes come out every Wednesday wherever you stream your content. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can help support us by going to anchor.fm slash writer dojo by leaving a five-star rating and review and by helping to spread the word to advertise on the writer dojo email ads at writerdojo.com. all questions and comments can be emailed to questions at writerdojo.com. you're not gonna have a lot of squishy bleeding hearts in that line of work you know what i mean no